CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we, we welcome in Angie Machado of BeaverBlitz.com, publisher of our sister Oregon State site. Angie, how's it going? How are things? Happy holidays to you. Yeah, happy holidays. It's um, Civil War week, so uh, it's, uh, it's always a good, good week. And uh, yeah, let's, gonna be a, it's going to be a big one. Um, Oregon State came into the season with high expectations, a top 25 ranking. Um, now near the end of the season, they've got three losses in league play, but those three losses are by, by combined nine points. Eight, um, they, eight points. Eight points, sorry. Eight points, come uh, on. <laughs> they'll be ranked in the college football rankings on Tuesday, but they don't have a shot at the league championship. How do we define this season for Oregon State? Because there's a lot of good – but there's a lot of just what ifs too with this with this team this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, I had this team pegged as a ten and one season, um, or eleven and one. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been kind of a, a, a rough ride. I think you it, it really just it it really hinges on just a couple couple things, right? I mean, you Washington State, Oregon State came out flat against that team, and Washington State probably had their best game um, that they've had all season. Um, they came out fired up on the road. Um, Oregon State came back and was able to kind of stop them at second half, but they came up three points short on the road at Arizona. Same thing, um, not flat. They played well, but uh, an end of the first half call by the coaching staff uh, to fake a field goal when on the road you always take the points. I did, and, and yep. Coach Smith even, I mean, he acknowledged after the game that that was a mistake on his part. Um, but again, Oregon State loses by three, and then. Saturday night uh, in Reeser, home game, rowdy crowd. You know, Oregon State's played so much better at home than they have on the road um, over the past three seasons, only two losses now um, at Reeser Stadium. So um, that was a rough one as well, lost by two to the Huskies. Kind of made a valiant comeback. Um, you know, they they had the chance. They had seven, seven minutes, 55 seconds left in the fourth quarter to uh, sustain a drive and uh, couldn't make it happen. Just they had to get down and make a field goal and could not make it happen. Turned over on downs with two minutes left and that was the end. But um, I, I think there's some disappointment in Corvallis. If you were to talk to players and, and coaches, uh, they did feel that this was a, a big year and um, they've come up short, but um, yeah, no conference championship hopes now, but, you know, finish the year off at Autzen um, with the Ducks and then, uh, a bowl game. So uh, that's, they're playing for that now. I, I was trying to think of a question to kind of summarize this series and we don't have to, if we don't want to get into what we think will happen long-term if Oregon, Oregon state will play each other. It seems like there's more positive momentum the past week that that could be something that takes place. But I wanted to go back to last year. I know this is an Oregon podcast and Oregon fans aren't going to like me talking much about this game, but Oregon state fans, I'm sure this is a, a, a cherished memory. I was, I was wondering, because from the Oregon side, I'm sure last year, this was one of the worst Civil War games that they could remember. Where is this stack up? Where did last year's, the 2022 game, stack up in the history of the series from the Beaver point of view? And what other games are like in that conversation? Would you, do, you, do you have a list at all? 
You know, I don't. I, I mean, it was a big one, obviously. Um, I mean, when you come back and can run the ball 34 straight times, <clears throat> that's uh, that's uh, pretty pretty big. Um, and, and they had no answer. Um, that that was big. And I think Oregon State fans, um, after they got over the shock of it, which took a, a little bit, but um, I would say 2000, the, the 2000 Civil War had so many implications. Um, I was at that game. It was, I mean, that was a, a, a giant one. Um, was and I, I cannot think of the year now. Um, it was Lyle Moyval was the quarterback. So it was at like 07 ish, 08. Um, there was when they the won Rose, in Eugene. Yeah, no, it was in Corvallis. Yeah. There, it was, oh, it yeah, was yeah, a Rose, yeah. Bowl, right. Rose Bowl on the line for that one. Ducks won that one. That was a big one. Um, I'm trying to think that, but those two really kind of come. Maybe it was 12. Was it 2012? I don't remember. Anyway, there, there was one in there in Corvallis. Um, so it would have been an even year. So probably 2012. Um, that Oregon State and Oregon had a Rose Bowl on the line. Oregon State lost and ended up, I think, in the Alamos. So that would have been 2012. Um, but yeah, 2000 was huge, obviously. Um, and then, but last year was was one of those games that um, I thought was um, it, it will go down. Now I'm with you. I, Beaver fans aren't going to like to hear this either because they kind of have an opinion of um, you know if they don't want to play the Ducks unless they're in a in a major conference. However, I'm hearing a ton of of smoke to the fire that. Um, Oregon and Oregon State are trying to get that September 14th date worked out to continue the Civil War. Now, I was in that camp, um, you know, back in August. I would have said, no, wait till Oregon State actually has the as a major conference. And it makes sense from a financial standpoint. However, um, Oregon State going independent right now, um, that's looking like the plan for the next two years. They're going to need um, strength of schedule. And so um, you, you throw in some games that can help their strength of schedule. I'm hearing five uh, Power Five games, six uh, G5 teams, and then um, one FCS, which for Oregon State, it's going to be Idaho State just because it's on the schedule already. So, you know, you throw in Purdue. I've heard Utah's in the mix. Oregon, that's a pretty compelling game or, you know, a couple good games. Yeah. Um, then you throw in some decent uh, G5 teams. Uh, it could it could set up very well for Oregon State, and that that is where I could see a, a continuance of the Civil War helping both both programs. Staying kind of there, um, Jonathan Smith kind of not kind of he continues to show he's one of the best coaches in college football, putting together really good teams with far less resources than everybody else. Um, as the league closes shop after this season. What's the kind of the confidence level in Corvallis that they can keep their their alumnus here? Because, like you said, there's financial disadvantages and advantages for being in a Power Five or not being in a Power Five school or conference. And big names will come calling. Does this is Smith locked in long term for for this ride right now? Yeah, I've been asking anybody I can find. I'm in Corvallis on Saturday. I was asking people. I've been calling and texting every source. You know, I've been around this program since. Uh, 2000. So it goes way back. So um, what I've been told is that Coach Smith is definitely in the day to day and he's being kept aware of what is going on with the conference and what Oregon State is doing from that side of things. I've heard it's coming. I've, I've heard they've I don't know if they've locked him up necessarily, but Smith has been kind of dodgy about it. Um, and of course, he's not going to address. I mean, there's Michigan State right. rumors of, you know, UCLA, of course, is, you know, they've even fired Chip Kelly, but it's already rumored that Jonathan Smith's the next coach down there. So um I do, you know, this is something I, I, I think Smith is very happy at Oregon State. I mean, he has three young kids. Uh, the oldest is a sophomore in high school and involved in sports. 
So I, I think from that standpoint, he's he likes it. He's able to go run the clock at his kids, you know, boys and girls club basketball games. Right. He's able to, you know, see his family, which, you know, UCLA, you're going to be living an hour probably away from campus. It's, it's going to be a different ball game, more media um, requirements. If you're at one of those schools, Oregon State is pretty low key. He doesn't have to do a ton of, of media engagements. Um, so I think there's a lot to keep him at Oregon State. Now, I think there, it comes down to two main things. You know, I, I think what's he at four and a half million right now? That's all. What else do you need in Corvallis? But what he does need is is security and knowing that that job is going to be there. You know, there, you need some stability. This job is only as as good as your last season. So um, I, I could see if if he decides to leave, it's because things have gone sideways with the Pac two, um, or he feels he can't uh, keep his staff in place. So you know, obviously he's going to lose a, a coach or two. That's part of the game when you're when you're looking at position coaches. But I think the, the keys for me is he's going to have to keep Coach Mahalachek and Coach Bray. If, if he can keep him, you know, him, Mahalachek, and Bray, those right there are your, your bottom line. You can always find some good, young, up-and-coming position coaches. But those three, I think, are the the kind of the keys to the cog there. Uh, if we see there's some more smoke to the fire of some of these, that means things are going real sideways in the pack in the pack two. But as of now, um, I, I, I feel pretty good about Oregon State keeping him. I think – Real, real quick, Eric. I, I think the wild card factor is what happens at Washington. Does Kellen DeBoer leave to go somewhere else? Like he's a name at AM and Washington would he's coached at Washington. Um, he's comfortable there. It's, that would be like if, I, I'm with you, Angie. I don't think he yeah. leaves. But if Washington opens up, that would be one where I'm like, eh, that's that's not a good one. But yeah. Here, it's going to be interesting. You know, I mean, that's, you know, um, Smith is one that, you know, money isn't the driving factor for him, but like I said, he also knows that if he can't keep a, his staff together, then that's going to really hamstring him as well. So um, apparently though, Scott Barnes has been talking with him daily. Um, I've heard some really positive things about Oregon state's new president, um, president Murphy. So, um, you know, she, she had to get up to speed real quick on college athletics, but um, I hear she's super competitive and, um, she's in it to win it right now. So um, it's going to be an interesting couple years for sure. What a time to take over a job, by the way. Good. Yeah, right? <laughs> she, she, she <laughs> ask for a more tumultuous starting point. Um, let's get back a little bit more to the game and some of the players here. Um, Damian Martinez continues to be extremely impressive. Um, I'd say he's arguably the best running back in this conference, certainly in the top two or three that you would you would pick. I think Bucky Irving, maybe we're a little biased, is pretty darn good. Jade Knott has proven to be really good. And then and Martinez is, is right there. Um, I, I'm curious on his backstory because he's a true sophomore, which speaks to like how immediately good he's been. What, what was his recruitment like? He's from Texas. He's from like, I think, a, a big state. I don't know if he's from a big metropolitan area, but like I was looking through his offers other than Oregon State, there weren't a ton of other power five schools involved. Like, how did how did this happen? And and was it was like the staff celebrating like we've got a steal when they got him because clearly they did. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that they were thinking steal necessarily. He's from Louisville, Texas. Um, put up some good numbers, you know. And, and I, what I liked about him at a high school is just that he could – he was a receiving threat as well, which we haven't seen that as much. Um, the, but uh, when he got on campus, he was an early enrollee. I actually thought he was going to be the starter last season. What I saw from him spring camp and then into the fall um, in August – I I, I I think I went on every show I was on. I'm like, this kid's going to start. And then he didn't. And they, and they eased him in. 
um, which surprised me a little bit. Um, but blocking is still, and I will say into a sophomore year, blocking is still maybe not his his forte. So he is getting better, but that is probably his biggest weakness. And that's, I think, what really kept him off the field last year. But no, I think it was one of those, like, we think he's good. We think he could be a solid contributor, but it wasn't like they thought, oh my God, we just won the lottery. He has really proven to be, um, you know, um, a really solid, solid addition and keeping him, I, you know, that's another one. I mean, Oregon State's going to have to try to find a way to keep him, um, Aiden Childs, you know, because there's already rumors of some some major NIL dollars being thrown at these guys um, to, to go elsewhere. So he is one I could, you know, see Oregon State trying to have to, to fight a little bit for, but I, I agree with you. I think Damien belongs in the same comp in the conversation as Bucky Irving and Jade Knott as being, you know, top three running backs in the conference. What I think makes what's Damien even better is the fact that he has that second punch with Deshaun Fenwick. So it kind of gives him that little break. Oregon State had a third back in Jam uh, Jam Griffin, who in August decided he needed uh, more carries and transferred to Ole Miss. And he's had six on the year. So um, that didn't quite work out as hoped for him. But those two, that's a, a pretty solid one-two punch there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. DJU has had a resurgence this season under Smith, um, locally in the media, nationally in the media. Um, yet you look at his stats, and they're very similar, if not a little lower than what he was last season at Clemson. And yet when you watch him, he looks improved. So I, I guess my question is, why do the stats not tell the full story? Because I, I'm in the belief that he is a better quarterback this season. Drop passes. Drop passes. I mean – there's been a lot of drop passes this year. I think if, if you look at PFF, and I, I don't have the stat pulled up, but they he is basically he's had more drop passes that should have been catches than any other quarterback in the in the in, or in the in the country. So um, that's that's been problematic. I think he's shown that he's he's patient. Sometimes his patience is to a fault, though. I, I think some in the Washington game he maybe waited a little too long to make some throws, but um, 
the running ability. I, I wish we would have saw a little more of that because we started to see a little little glimpses through the season and then Washington a little bit more. But he's 6'4", 250. He's pretty hard to bring down. But I do. I think his decision-making is is fairly good. Um, he knows when to get rid of the ball. So that's that's always good. Did have two interceptions on, on Saturday, which was a little uncharacteristic for him. But, um, yeah, drop passes have killed him. And, you know, that, that has been probably my biggest – worry for Oregon state really year after year is just their inability to recruit bigger wide receivers. And, and we saw that against Washington going against some of those bigger DBs that you know, Oregon state has a lot of little guys, little fast guys and, you know, Ant Gould and Silas Bolden, but they don't have any guys that can really go deep and, and win a jump ball with it, with a big DB. So um, Jack Belling has kind of stepped up into that role and has been a kind of a safety valve for Dame or for DJU. But um it's, it's just a matter of if teams are, are covering Belling, then it, it limits the playbook a little bit. Staying with Uyunglo uh, Um and by the way, I'm thankful that Mateo plays here, so I got practice saying that yeah, last name yeah. a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more. Um, it looked like he came up with like a, a thumb injury at the very end of that game. I don't know if there was any follow-up on that or, or if there's an idea, but is that something to, that is to be concerned with? And then just broadly – injuries right now i know there was a, a significant one on the offensive line but kind of where are the beavers at going into this week yeah there so dj i'm not super worried about I, I did see him kind of shaking his hand a little bit um i think he should be fine um he he's a tough kid we haven't had coach smith's media availability yet today so um of course i don't expect him to address anything too too uh it's <laughs> pretty pretty keep keeps things close to the vest i am worried so hanelli bloomfield is out um looked like he suffered a and the injury potentially in that game. Grant Stark is still a question mark. A, a local Springfield kid transferred in last or this summer from Nevada. He didn't come in when, when Bloomfield went out. He was next up. So I don't know exactly what he's dealing with. Um, instead, they went Flavio Gonzalez, which hasn't seen a lot of time there. So that's an interesting one to watch. Um, Achille Arnold also went down in the game. We don't have any um, word on him. He was in a boot on the sideline. Um that could be precautionary ankle sprain, or it could be something more. So we will have to wait and see what coach Smith says. But other than that, and those are some pretty significant ones, but I think, you know, I, I expect DJ to be full, ready to go. And um, I don't expect any other major, major injuries. Uh, Oregon state's defense consistently is always pretty sound. Um, points per game is very similar to what it was last season. Points allowed is, is a little bit better than, this year than last season, um, they've seen a huge jump in sacks. They're number six in the country this season. Turnovers are up two and two fewer games. Um, how has this unit improved? And just is this kind of the strength of this Beaver team that in its run game? Yeah, you know, I, I would I would say that the strength offensively is, is obviously the run game and the offensive line, just because they're even given DJ time to, to make throws. But, you know, going into the season, Oregon State lost a lot in the defensive backfield. You know, they lost... Alex Austin, who was a three-year starter, Jaden Grant, who I swear was in Corvallis for like 20 years. That guy was like a seven-year, seven-year guy. Um, and then Rajon Wright, their top cover corner. So they lost a lot uh, this offseason. That was my biggest concern going in is whether these guys could get up to speed. And I, I thought that the front seven was going to be the strength. It's almost flipped a little bit in the past couple of games. I would say that the secondary has been a strength for this team. Front seven struggled kind of early. Did okay, but struggled. Then they kind of came alive, and Andrew Chatfield has kind of just exploded onto the scene as far as a pass rusher. Um, didn't see a ton against Washington, so I, I don't 
necessarily think it's going to be as, as big of an issue. You know, Stanford, I think they had like six or seven sacks against Stanford, which isn't saying a ton, but um, you know, it's the defense is definitely a, a strength. I would say Trent Bray is probably the most undervalued defensive coordinator in the, in the conference for what he has done with, with the players he has able to scheme and, and come up with plans. So um, defensively, I'm not as worried as I was, but uh, we have seen Oregon State get picked on a, a few times in this, you know, deep ball. Every time I, I, I turn on Oregon State, uh, Keaton Oladapo just stands out. You know, on, on Saturday he had the, the – the, the, you know, ran up and knocked the ball out of the receiver's hands as he looked like he might be going in for a score. He certainly had some big hits throughout this season. What, what does he provide at the back end there for Oregon State? And you mentioned the secondary maybe outperforming the front seven at times. Like how big of a part is, is his play? Yeah, he's huge. I mean, Gatan is a great story too. He just, he was a walk-on from Central Catholic High School in Portland. So right. um, walked on, um, kind of, you know, bided his time as, as kind of a scout team guy and then really burst onto the scene last year. Um, he is, he's, he's a smart player and he, he plays with the heart of a lion. I mean, if you could have seen him post game, I thought he was going to break down in tears just because he wanted it so bad. Um, but he does. He's, I think the biggest thing for him is just, he's smart and he understands the system and has learned from, you know, he was able to learn under Jaden Grant and, and some of these guys. So he kind of followed that, um, we actually thought he was going to leave last season for the NFL and decided to come back for, for one last, one last, one last ride. And um, yeah, heart and soul. And like I said, I think the biggest thing for him is just his smarts. He's able to, to read plays really well and, and, and make the play. All right. Um, this matchup, what, what's the one that you're just, I'm really confident Oregon State's going to have this advantage or vice versa. Is there one that like, Oh boy, how do they stop this? What what's that matchup you're just really excited to see play out on Saturday? Yeah, this game scares me. So earlier in the season, like before the season, I said that I didn't know how Oregon was going to be able to kind of bring all these five-star egos and talents together and how well they'd meld, meld as a team. Um, I thought Washington, the first half of the season, I thought Washington was the best team in the conference from you know top to bottom. That is flipped now. I think Washington is beatable. I think Oregon has really come together and is the, you know, if I was to give a power ranking, Oregon's number one right now on my list. Um, it, it scares me. And I, I think if Oregon State is going to have a big game, it's going to have to run the ball and it's going to have to stop the run. Those are the two biggest things that I, I can see them having some success with. Bo Nix scares me. Um, I think he's just, he's looking so poised and he's making so many good decisions. That deep ball scares me. Um, I, I do think this is going to be a, a scary game for Oregon State. Um, and if they're going to stay in it, it's going to have to be top-notch run defense and and being able to run the ball against the Ducks. Well, you kind of took my thunder because I was going to ask you three things that were keys to this game, and you just gave me two. So maybe I'll put you on the spot and ask, is there a third thing? I mean, I, I, I'm in total understanding and agreement that the run game for both sides does feel integral but is there anything else that stands out for you that, that kind of OSU needs to do to, to pull up the win well my x factor going into this game is really going to be DJ DJ Uangalale because I, I we've seen DJ play lights out and look like that five star that came out mm -hmm. of St. John Bosco and we've also seen him look more pedestrian um you know I think Washington he, he looked okay he didn't look lights out against Stanford he looked like you know right. all world like he could beat anybody so I'd like to see the passing game I think that is an x factor for Oregon State is if they're able to not be one dimensional, that could, that could play in their favor. Um, I, I just, like I said, I, there's so much going on with Oregon that I, I, I worry that Oregon State's going to, going to struggle there, but 
like I said, Bo Nix, I, I didn't expect him to look quite as good as he's looking right now. Um, but I do think if Oregon State is able to run the ball, I mean, the game plan has to be for Oregon State, run the ball and control the clock. That that has to, you know, keep the ball out of his hands, out of Nix's hands. So that's that's got to be the the playbook. Um, so, yeah, I gave you, is that is that three? Or, you know, also takeaways, I guess that's another a key there. But, um, yeah, Oregon's playing well on that side of the ball too, so. That's plenty. You gave, you gave <laughs> more than three. I think you gave okay. us four. Okay. You're set. Uh, she is Angie Machado. You can find her work on beaverblitz.com. Angie, thank you for coming on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week of the holiday season, and uh, we'll catch you in, in Eugene on, on, on Friday. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Angie.